0: Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh76. This week we have all four regular hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of the oldest entertainment newsletter online at thisistrue.com and the Get Out of Hell Free Card, a fun online offline viral gimmick.
1: I'm Leo Notenboom, lover of coffee, corgis, and computers. Not always in that order. And, of course, I'm the Leo behind AskLeo.com. This week, the uh, corgis take center stage. This Saturday is the 18th Pacific Northwest Corgi Picnic that we'll be hosting here in our backyard with 100 dogs running around. So it should be fun.
2: Nice. I am Kevin Savitz. I'm a creator of FreePrintable.net, which offers 49,370 printable documents and templates. And faxzero.com, which lets, lets you send faxes for free from your computer.
3: And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer at macmost.com, where you can get the most from your Mac, thanks to my tutorials there, which I post daily. Uh, so how's everybody been doing? It's been a well, while since the four of us have been together.
1: I know, it's crazy. Yeah. A few episodes. Yeah. Just a few. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously you can tell I'm, I'm preparing for this Saturday's festivities. That'll keep me, uh, keep me busy this week. Getting lots of trash bags together. Um, yes, it's amazing how much dog poop 100 corgis can, can create in just a few hours.
2: I saw a thing uh, in the Oregonian, actually on their Twitter today, the Oregonian newspaper, saying there was a, a thing at, at an Oregon uh, beach today where there was a
1: thousand corgis. Actually, it was 550. Okay. <laughs> These numbers always get inflated. And was, in no, fa- no, there was 10,000 corgis. I read yes, it. I'm it sure there was. Half a
3: million corgis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and in fact, it's, um, it is responsible in part for um, our choosing next Saturday for our event. Because normally in years past, we've been on the same weekend, and we've had a couple of complaints from people that wanted to do both.
3: Will you, will you be, so you'll be having somebody there that was at this Oregon one?
1: in theory, um, theory, I don't know for sure. I mean, you know how these things go, right? People will complain about something and then not follow through and that something is fixed. Sure. So uh, I really don't know how many folks will be here that will have been at the, at the Oregon event. But uh, given that they've had 500. High. Yeah, the odds are high. The odds are pretty high.
3: I'm just trying to figure out if like the six degrees of separation is even less with Corgi's. thanks to these events there's like a three degrees to separate every corgi is like three degrees away from every other corgi in the world
1: at least every other corgi owner absolutely yeah we all we all kind of sort of know each other and what's funny is of course you're expected to know each other so you know hey i saw this corgi so and so somewhere do you know them well no
3: (laughs) so so it's really only three or four degrees away from the buckingham palace corgis right in theory. In theory. Ah, oh, okay.
1: That's what I forgot to do. I forgot to invite the queen this year. Oh, how could you oh, forget
3: man. to invite the queen? Oh, well, man. She's been
1: letting hers, you know, dwindle away. She actually doesn't have any of her own anymore. Oh. Yeah. Uh, she ended oh. up um, taking on uh, a couple of the corgis for, I think, one of her caretakers um, at some point. Anyway, yes, yeah, she's, she's made some, some uh, decisions about uh, basically winding down her program.
3: Hmm. Well, she's not invited then. Oh yeah, no, she'd need her. to come
1: here for her corgi fix. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Cause you always have puppies. There there in fact will be some. In fact, our breeder is showing up a couple of days early, so we will have puppies to ourselves. Oh. Cause that, that always they always
0: feature in the pictures. And the, Absolutely. the pictures are almost always online and it's yep. they're a lot of fun. It's yeah, one of those
2: things fact, where you're going you're gonna to start the, the event with 120 corgis, but you're going to end the event
1: with 130. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I tell people is that um, you have to leave with the same number of dogs you came with, and the ones you leave with can't be ours. Other than that, <laughs> you're on your own.
3: So. I guess people that have rabbits don't have the, these kinds of get-togethers because of that problem. <laughs> Probably not.
1: Probably not. Yeah. So other than that, Hey, I did spend some money and I got myself a tablet this week. I now have a, uh, a galaxy note. Mm. Um, a, no galaxy tab. I'm sorry. Um, just because I wanted something that was a tablet a, you know, that form factor for reading some stuff on my, my pixel phone is, is nice. It's big for a phone, but it's not, it's not a tablet. I mean, it's not, it's not a full size screen. And of course, laptops are, are, Um, even convertibles are somewhat cumbersome and and a little unreliable at times. I've had it for three days now and actually I've been pretty, pretty impressed. One of the reasons I went with an Android instead of an iPad, and I did seriously consider an iPad was simply the sunk cost I have in various Android apps. Um, Mm. And of course the knowledge that I have on on making them all do what I need them to do. So it's actually been been kind of fun. I
0: did go for an iPad in part just so I had something in the Apple universe. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I don't use it a lot, but when I do use it, it's very handy. It's a really, the tablet turns out to be a really nice form factor for certain things. Um, It's still primarily a consumption device, you know, an an information consumption device. You don't spend a lot of time creating content on a tablet. At least I don't yet. um, Unless you, you know, attach a keyboard to it or something. Uh, What I'm experimenting with and, uh, you know, not every environment is appropriate uh, is using voice recognition because even on the tablet, voice recognition turns out to be really, really good these days. Mm. Uh, so. Cool.
3: so,
0: All right. So speaking of which, uh, Kevin isn't in Kansas anymore.
2: No, I'm not. <laughs> um, I went to Kansas Fest, which is an annual conference for lovers of the Apple II computer. Uh, tend to go every year and... Uh, it's a week long event, and I had a great time. Uh, it is at Rockhurst University in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas and uh, I know, and uh, there were about eighty or eighty five people there who uh, like the old Apple II computer. did a bunch of events and recorded some podcasts and did some some uh, goofy projects and uh, had a great, great time um. One of the the weirder things uh, that I did, um, rather than than give a, well, I gave a couple presentations, but one of them was uh, there was a show, a TV show uh, in 1983 and 1984. It was called Whiz Kids, and it was sort of a, a Hardy Boys sort of deal, but with tech savvy kids who used computers to solve crimes, and so I. Uh, Procured a script for the pilot episode, and then as a presentation, me and some of my my buddies uh, did like a live table read of this old TV show. (laughs) I love it, (laughs) and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, And I gave a presentation about Renderific, my uh, SVG renderer in uh, written in Basic, Uh, and uh, had a real good time. So, um but what I'm thinking about now lately is uh moving we we are getting ready to move across town to a different part of portland and normally it wouldn't it's not I would wouldn't say it's tech worthy enough to mention here, but it really is because we, we've been in this house for nine years and uh i've got we've you know, a lot of stuff a lot of crap a lot of cruft that has collected and it's just like moving and packing things up is just daily. Thousands of decisions. You know, do I need this? Do I want it? How? You know, am I going to use this? I haven't used this since last time. And does it
1: bring you joy? Does it?
2: Yes, and a lot of it doesn't. <laughs> but I need it anyway. You know, that's why the child is coming. And, um, but yesterday I was going through the, the basement, and there was a, a like a box of cables. I mean, I think we all have these. You know, this it's like a box yeah. of. <laughs> Just one box? Well, really? okay. I, I dealt with Big one box. box. It's all like it was. It's really emotionally draining, I and mean, I could deal with one. I was just like so stressed out, and and had, just had to like walk away. And I'll maybe do another box tomorrow. But uh, this box of cables, and I started sorting sorting through it. I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take one of each useful thing, and if if I need more cables later, I will replace them. So you know, here's a couple of HDMI's, and here's a couple of really nice, you know, whatever. Coax cables and 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 then I'm in there and there's there's FireWire and there's all sorts of you know weird converters I don't scuzzy. even know what what they go to and yeah and and uh, sure scuzzy and you know parallel cables and you know 10 base two and just so much stuff and eventually I was I started sorting it and I was just like I'm done and I just got a hefty bag and <laughs> threw them all in there I mean this was like a giant bag absolutely stuffed to the brim and i saved maybe 20 cables that i knew i was going to need in the move and i was just like you know what i'm just going to recycle all this garbage
1: so and i was going to ask what do you do with all these cables because honestly i'm in the same boat I've, if if you ask me for a firewire cable yeah. i know exactly where to go i know <laughs> right. where to get it from my basement you know
2: i um, i know i know where to get one now too amazon.com
1: <laughs> well yeah that's back, that and that's part of it i mean i 've had that that thought process where there 's a cost in keeping it mhm and there's it it's it's uh compared against the cost of replacing it if you ever actually need to right. and like you yeah. said but even
0: easy. in my rural area, we have a metal recycling place, and they do take cables so oh, i 've really? actually uh, been filling a box with a bunch of cables here and other miscellaneous metal. And we'll just be dragging them down there and say, "Here you go." And they even pay you a few cents a pound.
3: Hmm. They pay you? Wow. Well, wow. here, that's yeah, you have to actually pay them to recycle yeah. electronics. Yeah. Usually,
0: well, in it for like TVs and stuff, yeah, you do have to pay. But but for things that they can get some usable metal out of, they're happy to take them.
1: I have so many USB cables. Oh.
0: So, in answer oh, yeah. to
2: your, your question, Leo, yeah. like what in in my office, and this is I, I have a. i I had it i had a box of cables that was getting out of control and basically i got a one of those those plastic tubs one of the smaller ones. costco has different sizes but this Mm -hmm. was you know maybe i don't know nine inches by seven inches perhaps and has a lid on it and i my my office extra cable collection i limit it to that box and if it doesn't fit that box it goes away so i have a couple of you know, USB cables and a couple of whatever I think I need. And it really helps me to limit anything else gets recycled or thrown away or or whatever. And um, so that, that system has been working in my office for for quite some time, but that system is never got down to the the basement, never got that memo. So, (laughs) (laughs) but now it has, because I just, anyway, so just so it just, it's, just being yeah. a computer person, just you don't realize how much you know, every time you buy a printer or scanner or whatever it just comes with more cables that you probably aren't going to use
1: but it, and it's more than cables i mean like you have those those costco bins are bins i swear they're like you know a foot by a foot by like a foot and a half or something mm-hmm. like that with a yeah. double fold tops on them i've got one of those just for usb cables and <laughs> one of those just for video cables and one of those just for data cables and one of those just for audio i mean it's it's crazy and so, you know, you and I and, and all of us, we've been doing this for enough years that, yes, that stuff just accumulates. And absolutely, I've still got the old SCSI cables I used to use, you know, 30 years ago when I was working at Microsoft, taking an old, I think it was a two gigabyte external um, SCSI drive back and forth to work. Which is great. Yeah, it was at the time. Absolutely. <laughs> it, was, it was really impressive. I think I got Microsoft to pay for it, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and And yes, I just... I mean, you're never going to use this stuff. But, and then on top of that, there are things like, okay, I've got like half a dozen old mice. And, uh, you know, about, uh, oh gosh, I've probably got about a dozen hard drives mm-hmm. of various sorts um, that are big enough to keep, but small enough that they'll never actually get used. And then there's the collection of hard drives that are of indeterminate size, but they're broken, so I can't really erase them properly to feel safe giving them away. I mean, mm-hmm. just so much stuff. Um, and it just accumulates. You keep getting more. In fact, even like the, the tablet that I got uh, earlier this week, uh, sure enough, it comes with a, its own USB power supply, you know, plug-in-the-wall power supply, and a USB cable. I didn't need another one of those. But there it is anyway.
3: So I did a, a strategy a uh, cup. I was about a year ago when I did about the same thing. So I took a trash bag and I went through all of my boxes of tech junk and when in doubt, I put it in the bag, just throw stuff in the bag. And then when it's something that's like, no, I think I really do need this. I kept it. So I had this big trash bag filled with cables and old mice and stuff like that. And I took this trash bag. I stuck it in another room in a spare bedroom in the house and I, Basically said, uh, I'm going to give it 30 days. If I don't we need it anyth- back,
2: 30 days later there were two bags. The <laughs> two bags. <yeah>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. So after 30 days, I had never gone over to the bag to do anything with it or to you know grab a cable out of it or anything. So I just and I had forgotten what was in there. So it was easier, it was less painful because so I didn't think about like, oh, but I'm throwing away that cable, that blah blah. It was like, oh, this is a bag of stuff, and I don't remember what's in there. It was like a black trash bag, so I couldn't see what was in there. So I just threw it out, and haven't had any issues since. So I haven't needed any cables that I haven't had or or whatever.
2: Right, and if you yeah. if you need a, a SCSI to to ten base two converter. <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. down the line, monoprice.com will have it. I guarantee it. And yep. that's all you need.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So cool. moving anyway, is, moving, moving is painful. Moving it is, is so painful. painful.
0: It makes me Speaking of moving. Well, not we move on. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: <laughs> it, yeah. This makes me hate owning things. I hate myself for every decision I've ever made. I just, <laughs>
3: just <laughs> sick of it. I hear you. Yeah. Hear you. Anyway, that's me. What about you, Gary? Uh, I've been, um, Learning an old dog learning new tricks, kind of thing. Um, I decided to learn Swift, which is the programming language developed by Apple that you can use to build apps for everything Apple iPhones, iPads, Macs, Apple Watch, Apple TV, everything. Um, It's a pretty powerful language, and the language I was using was getting really old, and there were some concerns about its future. Um, so I decided to, to just learn it, to learn something. And it had been a long time since I learned a new programming language and I have a computer science degree. And there was a time when I was like, you know, just, you know, taking on tons of computer languages. Um, and I haven't learned one in a long time. So I decided to do that and build, uh, well, first I started to build one of my existing apps from the ground up in Swift and I got surprisingly far, like I got 90% done and it stopped because I realized, well, what happens when I get 100% done? Like, it'll ha- I'll have the same app, and then I'll, what, submit it to the store as a replacement? I don't know. So I didn't know what to do there. So instead, I built a new app from scratch uh, in Swift, and uh, just to prove that now I am a Swift programmer, and any games I want to make in the future are going to be developed in Swift. And I actually submitted to the store, and it actually went live today. So. Uh, so I have my first Swift app. And what is it? So it's it's, uh, it's called strangely Bubble Blocks Puzzle, um, and it is my take on a very popular style of game now, the block puzzle game, where you drop these Tetris-like pieces onto a board, and you can clear rows horizontally or vertically. And I did mine using little bubbles instead of wooden blocks and little fish come and eat them when you complete a row, which sort of makes it different than all the rest out there. Um, And I decided because I was just doing this for practice, I put a link to my other games in it and I decided no ads, no price. So it's a free app with no ads in it. Um, I just wanted to just get one under my belt. Um, Anyway, so we can include, include a link. I'll,
1: so yeah, like up there. by using Swift, yes, Swift you say is, you know, for all things Apple, does this mean you are forever locking yourself out of anything cross-platform?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I could. Uh, there are tons of companies and tons of developers out there that make their iOS apps in Swift and then go ahead and build it in something else for whatever. You know, all your art assets are good. Your game logic is good. You just have to kind of translate the code. So it's not impossible. I haven't had much success in the Android app world. Never made much money with it, whether it's an ad-based game or a for-sale game. I have—it's probably been more trouble than it's been worth. Matter of fact, a bunch of my games, I couldn't—I couldn't any longer update because they changed how keys work for in the Google Play Store. These should be the 32-bit developer keys, which are basically like your certificates for signing the game or something. Mm-hmm. And they switched to 64-bit. And the software I use, the development environment I use had no way to go from one to the other. So basically I can create a new game, 64-bit keyed game, and submit that to the store, but I can't update my old ones, which means that any audience I built up will not get an update to that game. That pissed me off. And also there's also these things like I'll go and use, say, a library to display ads or to do some functionality. And then Google, Google decides that, oh, that library's got some sort of thing in it. And we won't allow it anymore, and it's got to be out of the store by a certain day. And and it's like, I'm not updating the whole game just for that for some functionality I'm not even using. <laughs> so it's been a pain doing it, and I don't think I've made – I think I've probably made less than $1,000 in 10 years um, selling Android apps. Um, so I said, screw it. I'm just going to learn Swift, and I'm going to just... And the great thing about knowing Swift is all the stuff that you hear Apple talk about, like when it comes time for the developer conferences, like when they say, oh, here's the um, augmented reality stuff or stuff that hooks into Siri or stuff that, you know, all this stuff that they throw out there, it's all Swift. Right. Uh, I can access all of that now. I mean, Apple could, could introduce tomorrow a new kit for something, like a kit that hooks into your light switches or a kit for this. And I could go and add a few lines of code to one of my games and use that. Whereas using somebody else's development environment, I would have to wait sometimes years, sometimes it would never come, and I wouldn't be able to really access it. So, so it could be fun. It could be a neat, interesting thing. Maybe I could even go back and develop some Mac apps, like I could take this game, theoretically, and deploy it as a Mac app um, if I wanted to. Something I may do, something that was not easy to do before. So, so I don't know. But yeah. the, I think the important thing that the bottom line is, old dog, new trick. You know, first <laughs> time in a long time, I've taken something new on and really felt that, okay, I've, I've done it. I've learned Swift, I've mastered it. I'm doing some pretty advanced things right now um, uh, using Swift. so Cool How long do you
2: feel <laughs> it took you to go from hello world to mastery?
3: three weeks mm. i'd say it took the first week was hell the first week i couldn't do anything right like i was following the tutorials books uh everything and i would see what they would say i would try it and it would work but if i tried to alter it in any way error messages if I tried to add my own functionality, oh, I can make this move from left to right? Uh, let me try right to left. Nope, error messages. Like for a week of that where it was just a roadblock in every Sounds direction. Sounds
0: like me learning HTML.
3: Yeah, and then all of a sudden, I, at, at about the one-week mark, I started trying to alter things, and stuff would work. And then I would start to say, hmm, I'd like to do this, but I haven't learned how to do that. But I bet you the code looks like, and I would try something, and it would work. And you know there's kind of this breakthrough, um, and then I was like full speed ahead. And then, I, then at some point I would I was like looking up code for how to do this, how to do that, and I'd see other people's code online, and it was like, nah, that I bet you I could do it better. <laughs> and, and then I start to uh, like, here's a better, here's a three line way to do it that's more versatile than their ten line way to do it, you know, stuff like that. So, so yeah, so I still got it when it comes to science. <laughs> Computer science stuff. It's still got that going. My brain hasn't atrophied. (laughs) Yay. Yay. I know. It
0: reminds me that I did something new. Um, Speaking of old dogs, I'm an older dog than you are. (laughs) Um, When I just popped open a new tab on my browser, I noticed it says DuckDuckGo rather than Google. Hmm. I just got so tired of everything I searched for. I'd see ads for, and I, I used the Google app, on my phone to find different things to read and it's just astounding you know if, if i for one time typo something and and get to a subject then i see 50 ad, uh 50 articles for that it's like no i don't want you to show me 50 articles on this so just to get away from the all seeing eye that is google i switched to duckduckgo so two questions
1: for you one. Yes, I know Google can still see what I do. Well, no. no, it's,
0: <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, that part's easy. Now, the, the real, there are two questions here that I think are pretty important for, for most folks. One is, did it really help? In other words, aren't you still seeing things that you happen to look for, like, outside of DuckDuckGo? I
0: am still convinced that Google listens to the environment around my phone. Because some things that I talk about in person with people suddenly show up online, um, and especially in that you know, lineup of suggested articles. And I know that I haven't searched for those things. So, yes, I still see some things that make me roll my eyes, but what I'm finding is they're taking wild guesses at what I want to see rather than using my search history. So all of a sudden I had a ton of articles about entrepreneurship. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Okay, yeah. I don't need 50 articles on how to
1: become an entrepreneur. So my other question then is, because I actually tried using DuckDuckGo for a while. um, And my frustration with it was that it wasn't giving me the results I needed. I ended up going back to Google because in, in between all the ads, the results were better. I'm finding that I get
0: the results I want. Um, I haven't actually done a head to head comparison, but
1: I thought they used Google as kind of a back end. No, no. Okay. DuckGo Duck doesn't. They use um, some of the other search engines, I think, as a good. I think Google specifically said, no, you can't do that. Um, this this sure goes back a ways, too. It wouldn't surprise me. But that actually leads me to another point because in one of the newsletters I got this morning, um, they mentioned a search engine called um start page. It is a it is a default search engine or it's a search engine that somebody set as their default. And they actually apparently do what you just described. They use Google for their results, uh but then present it in their own wrapper, which presumably is, you know, more private, yada yada. They actually bill themselves as um the most, you know, some kind of the most world's private most user. private search engine. So that might be something else for you to look at um, if, uh, if you're finding that the search results in DuckDuckGo aren't really meeting, meeting what you need. The, um, the risk is basically what I was just saying with respect to DuckDuckGo is that, I mean, Startpage, if they're slurping up Google search results and they don't have an agreement with Google, that could lead them into some trouble. Yep. So, but it'd be an interesting experiment.
0: Well, I'll probably just try them just to see what I think about it. So mm-hmm. why not? Curious to hear how it turns out. All right. So
1: what's first on the agenda? Well, so we've all heard this phrase deep fake, which is, um, I, I'm not a fan of the phrase, but it is what it is. It's basically uh, manufactured videos and images that uh, are essentially uh, somebody saying or doing something that they didn't actually say or do. One of the most uh, famous ones, famous, one of the most popular ones from, you know, several months ago was um, a comedian basically giving voice to uh, Barack Obama, saying a bunch of things that Barack Obama never did, but it's a video of Barack Obama saying these things in his voice. Uh, the quality was obvious at that point that it was that it was fake, but it was a really, really, really good fake. And as we know, these kinds of things are only getting better. Now, the the, the what brought this up was an article on the Inquirer i n q u um, i r e r dot net that talks about Adobe AI can tell if something's been photoshopped, which. Is semi related in that um, they're using AI to determine if an image has in fact been photoshopped and in some ways uh, how it was photoshopped, which I kind of find really interesting. The, if you dive into the article a little bit, you'll see that they actually are able to, in a certain degree, actually reverse some of the photoshopping that had happened to an image, which I find really fascinating. But to me, this is kind of like the door to. Uh, deep fake videos. It gives me hope in the sense that the same kind of technology may at some point be able to uh, definitively identify a video as having been faked. Um, on the other hand, I also believe that it's a race. It's a horse race. Yep. The improvements in technology to make the videos better will always be ever so slightly ahead of the technology to determine that it was faked. Um, and that that kind of stuff really worries me, and where it worries me the most right now is in our highly politicized and divided country. Um, you know, just get one video that people believe to be true that isn't true, and it doesn't matter what side, uh, and it could just really, really sway things and cause some serious problems. I don't know. You know, like I said, there's hope in that AI may be able to to determine that it's been faked. Whether or not people believe that or not is another question, but it's kind of scary stuff. Now, what do you guys think? I agree; it's very scary, and I think it's
0: cool that they've found some ways to detect this. And but I'm I'm dubious that they're going to be able to keep up with the technology as it gets better and better at faking this stuff. I, I think, it, like you said, it's a horse race.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we're just all going to have to get used to the fact that we have to be skeptical there already have been not if not so much the deep fakes there have been altered videos right things thrown out there that it's been a real person talking but it's been cut yeah, in such a way that. or slowed down right. or there's there wasn't there one where the arm movement was a little different right there was something they did with there was an arm movement of uh an aide or something uh hitting somebody and they they changed it to make it look like it was like more of a, you know, violent thing than it was. So we just got to get really skeptical at the stuff. And um, But do you
1: have faith that, that that the general populace really can be skeptical? I mean, I've been preaching skepticism for years. And, it, you know, it starts with technology, right? Don't believe the, the prince in Nigeria. But it's one of those things where as much as people realize that they shouldn't believe everything they see on the internet – they believe everything they see on the internet. They really do.
3: Yeah. They're going to have to stop doing that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, but I don't know. I think the people that believe everything they see on the internet are already being affected by much. Like you don't have to go all the way and do a deep fake. You could just put it as a headline. Just have some text, you know, say so-and-so said this, that's it. You don't need to, have a piece of video to, to convince people. You know,
1: I, I suppose that's true because on, you know, the the counter argument is that we have videos that completely disprove a lot of these textual headlines and articles that have been out and people routinely ignore them.
3: Yeah. I, you know, and then there's a, you know, if, if something were to come out, like say, take person a said this, and here's the video of them saying this and they come and say, that's not me. I never said that you know, there's this whole thing, well, you know, if it becomes a big enough issue that people are upset about it, you know, where was that recorded? Who recorded that? Are there any, were there any witnesses can, you know, to the person saying this? Uh, If it's just that person in an empty room recording a video and, you know, and they say that's not them, they didn't record the video, then how is that different than, I don't know. It's, it's concerning, but I think 90 plus percent of it somewhere if we do ninety and ninety nine percent of it the the people don't need the video to convince them, just being told that somebody said something like yeah, that, yeah but with the video they've yeah. got proof, yeah, but they don't need the proof i mean they they they'll believe anything right. there I mean, was... people
2: were believing the moon landing was faked you know way before the internet
1: was happening yeah the, the difference is the the scale right i mean i mean. To all of our listeners who happen to believe that the moonless landing was faked, I'm sorry, but um, the, that's a very small group of people, right? It's, it's, and, and they have little impact on on day-to-day life for the rest of us. On the other hand, you know, the kinds of things we're talking about are like political directions of an entire country. And the more data that you can bring in, be it falsified or not, to bolster your position, uh, the more likely you are to be able to push your agenda, whatever that agenda might be through. Uh, that's the part that, that scares me, to be honest, about, about all this, this kind of ability to fake things. So there's yeah. no solution really when you get
0: down to it, but it is something to be aware of.
3: Well, I mean, education is the solution. You have to keep coming out with, look, if somebody, I mean, let's face it. This is politicians we're talking about. If a politician says something and the only way to know that they said that is then they appear on a news program or in public or whatever, and somebody says, did you say such and such? And they say, yes, that was me. That's what I said. I believe that. Then it's true. Otherwise- it's just a piece of information out there that it, it's not valid. I mean, so you could still say something that's true. You could still do the positive. You could still say I believe this on this issue and then go and repeat that on, you know, to various reporters, repeat that in the in public, repeat that on live television and verify that that is something you said. You just can't prove the negative. You can't you can't say no, I never said that. So we have to go to a state where it's like you have to listen to what people say that they stand behind. And then if you get this random piece of thing that somebody says they didn't say, you got to go and believe they didn't say it.
2: So what if a tool like like this, this auto detection of fakes tool, what if that was built into your browser or your operating system or Facebook? Facebook would never do that. But what if it was not a, a separate tool that you would have to run things against, but it was somehow built into the system and it could intercept things at the time and you know it would show the picture of of whatever and and then highlight things in red saying oh, this is probably fake w- would that help the problem
1: honestly probably not because people already believe that facebook for example has an agenda so they would say that, oh, the Facebook is lying, that they're not saying the right thing, that you know, whatever they're saying is fake doesn't agree with my preconceived notion of what the truth is.
3: Hmm. Yeah, there's no trust there. Yeah. I mean, you have to put the confirmation tool into something that people trust. So if you, you, know, if you happen to trust Facebook and Facebook says, hey, this is, looks like a fake video, then you can, and you trust Facebook, then it's okay. But most people don't what what could be much more useful is Facebook actually just doesn't allow the video to be shown. You know, they actually, right now, they take down posts that violate this or that. And if, you know, if like nudity, for instance, or something. If they actually had a, like, misleading political speech filter and somebody actually posted a video that is verified to be fake, you know. So Facebook uses this. It's very, you know, their team of humans actually says, oh, this video people are spreading around is fake. It's fake propaganda. The person did not say this. It's a lie. It's libel or or actually slander or something. I don't know what it would be. And they actually then prevent that just like they would prevent a nude photo from showing up. That Then you never see the video to begin with. Um, otherwise, it's got to be a, you know, a trusted thing. I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. people, what people trust, they trust, right? If you trust CNN, if you trust Fox news, whatever you trust, if that source tells you this is fake, you're going to believe it, but that's it.
0: Yeah. And of course, institutions that people trust can be manipulated because somebody with an agenda can cast doubt on them. And we've seen that with the so-called mainstream media. Oh, it's mainstream media. We can't trust them. So who who can we trust? And if people say politicians, guess what? They're wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to, for this to go into this this political rat hole, but I, it you know, like I said, the technology I find incredibly fascinating. Um, it worries me and gives me hope at the same time. Uh, right now, though, I think the uh, worrying is uh, is winning the race.
3: So so there's an item we've got very far down on our list here um, that I was actually going to remove from the list, but I could talk about it for just a minute here. And it's, you know, Neil Stevenson's book that, you know, the one he came out with uh, um, Fall or Dodge in Hell, it's the name of the book. In the future, he predicts that we will have these things, these people called stream editors. And they will be people that edit your personal stream of information. So on the one end, if you're very rich, you could actually have your own personal stream editor, which is somebody that knows, you know, fits with your worldview. And will. when you view stuff like your Facebook feed or whatever in the future, you will only see stories that they have verified and allowed through. So they kill all the spam, they kill all the fake news, all that stuff, and you only see that. If you're not very rich, you may have a shared uh, edit stream where you know, you subscribe to. So there might be somebody like Randy, this is true. And there might be a, this is true edit stream. And for a certain amount per month, your feed could actually be hand edited by Randy. And, and then that stuff won't get through to you, but you're seeing the same as what, you know, hundreds of other people are seeing. And they even have things like when you work at a job, like a big company, they could provide edit streams for you as, as a benefit. <laughs> uh, when you go to a university, they could provide edit streams. And the people that cannot afford or do not choose to do an edit stream get the worst crap. Their streams are filled with spam, filled with propaganda. It's just horrible, horrible stuff. Um, but it was it's actually an interesting theory. It's not too far off um, from something I think that could possibly happen. I mean, we're basically doing it now – By, you know, editing our, like our, you know, Facebook is kind of tailoring everything towards us to give us our own echo chamber. But what if you could go with somebody that, you know, did it for you? That was a custom edit stream. I don't know. It's interesting.
0: I'm trying to think of the word for that, um, where you compile things on your website or your blog that you know, it's an aggregation of certain topics yeah. or whatever,
3: but it's also personal things. So, for right. instance, you know, so it's all your email that's coming through, all your messages, everything coming through it goes through this editor, uh, whether it's a service or an individual person.
0: Curation about, is that the word you're thinking? Curation, yes, thank
3: you. Yeah, yeah. So, and and it it makes it makes the internet usable again. Because all this stuff is out of the way. I mean, Imagine if you just you had somebody that it was their job to like make sure you never saw a piece of spam, make sure you never saw a piece of fake news, you know, make sure you didn't see anything that was junk or misleading or whatever. Um, you know, it, it, then you could actually that would it, it would cost you money, but it would be fun to go to Facebook again. You would actually see things you wanted to see, and that's it. Um, so yeah, I'm
0: just spending less and less time on Facebook just because I'm tired of I, the garbage.
3: But then there's there's Twitter, there's your email, there's your uh, there's for people there's Instagram and Snapchat and going to you know um, other websites that give you news, all the news sites, you know, all of that stuff. That's all part of your stream, and you know. It, my, so, it, you know, my
1: reaction to that particular uh, uh, feature, if you will, a particular function, is that you know I don't necessarily want it for myself. I'm actually okay. Seeing things fly by, I'm pretty good at determining what is and isn't true. At least I feel I do. I want to impose that feature on others. <laughs> <laughs> you can anonymously and
2: forcefully buy it for family members who are wrong about things. <laughs> yeah, for that for that
1: crazy uncle, right? The, the right, right. When you really do, you have to invite for Thanksgiving, but mm-hmm. don't really want. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. So. There
3: was a, there was a meme that went around a while ago that we just gave instructions on how <laughs> to, uh, use like a uh, popular cable providers, go into the settings and disable a certain cable news station um, <laughs> and said, do this for your grandparents. <laughs> and when they, uh, you know, it just, uh, and just tell them it's broken. And, uh, this is, you know, how we'll save the world that kind of thing. <laughs> oh,
0: Fox news went out of business. <laughs> oh
3: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Hey, you uh, know, right now we don't have, uh, CBS uh, for me for direct TV, right? Oh. It's one of those things your know, yep. CBS has now been blacked out for we a lost
1: week. CW out here. Thank is goodness part- Big Bang Theory is over. <laughs>
3: I know. Well, that's the funny thing is, it's like, you know, the CBS is playing the card of like, oh, you're going to miss us, right? Force DirecTV to succumb. All, I've, all we figured out is, hey, you know, none of the shows we actually watch are on CBS. It took us <laughs> like four days it, it, until finally I decided to, to look at a, uh, to watch Stephen Colbert, you know, just on a, you know, like one afternoon that I had taped the night before and noticed it was blacked out. I was like, huh. How long has this been going on and we didn't even notice right. we we're missing CBS? I, um, I think
1: it's real risky for both DirecTV and the networks. Well, probably more so for DirecTV simply because what it's forcing people to do is find out that they can get this
3: content somewhere else. They're actually telling people. That's the weird thing. The message on the screen tells you how to go to the, that local cast or lo- I forget what it's called, website to watch Mm -hmm. or use an antenna they're telling people how to do it so i don't know if it's that much of a risk because they seem to be very into i I think the the idea they're trying to push on you is hey look this is free right but by the way they're trying to charge us who and then then in turn put it on your bill so be on on our side
0: of several bucks you know two to four dollars per month per user which, you know, really adds to your bottom line on your cable bill or your TV bill.
3: It does. And, and so the weird thing is, is that, you know, you've got this thing where, so I could get CBS for free, but I'm paying for it on TV because they're forcing me to buy it kind of thing on so, the one hand. But it, I don't know. I, I blame both sides.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I argue both sides as well. So for example... Um, I will admit to watching uh, the series *iZombie*, and oh, is that's, that on
3: CBS? That's on I just CW. watch it on—I just watch it on Netflix or wherever it. it uh, well, it's not
1: current, right? Yeah, it's, it's not current, like a yeah, line yeah. Or something like that. So, as it turns out, you know, CW got blacked out here. I don't know if it's been unblocked yet or not, but it's caused me to look. Okay, hmm, what other ways can I get this? Oh, look, I can get the the latest episode the next day by firing up the CW app. Hmm. The CW app on my phone or on my new tablet or, as it turns out, on my Xbox so that I can watch it on the big screen TV and probably with better sound. So that's the concern that I've got is that a lot of people, I think, are going to be finding out that they don't need DirecTV. Now, something like DirecTV, you, you are getting something. What what we're getting, for example, is, you know, multi-room capability, the DVR capability, the you know, all those kinds of of features and functionality that don't necessarily relate to a specific channel, but relate to the technology that Directv uses to deliver it. Um, at some point, the balance is going to shift, right? At some point, um, you know, either they're going to solve these problems or we're just going to start watching everything somewhere else.
3: Right now. Do you have to, when you sign into the app, do you have to talk about your provider, your CW provider? I was expecting
1: to, to, I really was. But I didn't have to, for not for CW anyway. Uh,
3: yeah, because that's the problem with some of right. these other ones is you seem to be able to get it for free. Oh, I can get everything through the app. But in reality, when you sign on at the beginning, it's a really quick step, right. um, and it's almost automatic on Apple TV because there's this universal thing going on. Right. Um, but if I were to cancel DirecTV, I would suddenly find all these apps that I could go to that now wouldn't work. I don't right. have a subscription. And a lot of them don't offer the ability to pay individually. Some do, right. but others are like, nope, you have, to pay for, you have to pay for this by getting service from your cable or satellite provider, or you can't use the app.
1: CBS is actually the easiest one of all. You just get CBS All Access and you're good to go, right? Yeah. You get to choose whether or not you want commercials and pay appropriately, but uh, you can get everything. And you get like 27 Star Trek shows. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> all of them, including the ones that haven't been released yet. So nice. looking forward to Picard, but that's another tangent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, that went in an interesting direction. Yeah. They always speaking, do. Yep. Well, speaking of an interesting direction, how about up?
2: <laughs> up. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite.
0: Well, everybody knows I'm a space geek, and I like just watching the launches. I I never get tired. If I'm available and there's a launch, and I hear about it, I'll watch it live. Just just to watch it. Well, yesterday, well, a few days ago, um, SpaceX launched a resupply to the space station. And, yeah, I watched that, and it was cool. Yesterday, um, Elon Musk posted on Twitter a little video that's got a four-way split on it of the landing of the booster, and it's really cool. Each of the four views is synchronized, so we've got a picture from the booster itself looking down and this thing falls at just an enormous rate of speed because it's just basically going straight down, you know, basically no aerodynamics. It just falls. Uh, they, they do a, a back burn to slow it down when it hits the atmosphere. So it doesn't burn up and then it falls free fall again until it gets really close to the ground. And then they, they do one last burn to land it. So, when you watch this on Twitter, which is where he posted it, make sure you turn on the sound because there's not only microphones on the ground and you can hear the double sonic boom, which is always just, you know, kind of sends chills up my spine, but there's also a microphone on the booster. And when it's way up in the you know, very thin atmosphere, the sound's very, very light, but as it comes down, it gets stronger and stronger. And then when that booster lights, you can hear it i mean instantly so you know the microphone's there and then you've got um a camera on the launch on the on the pad where it's landing and then two different telescopic views looking up at the booster from the ground all of this going on at the same time and it's it's just really neat it's only been there for a little over 24 hours and it already has 3 million views that's that's how this has been getting around. But I just wanted to call your attention to it because it's really neat to watch. And I think, you know, it just shows that that Musk himself is just a total geek that just loves this kind of stuff. And, you know, they put it together. So he's going to share it with the world.
1: It always amazes me to see those boosters come down because I, I compare it to, um, you know, dropping a pencil and having it land on the eraser. Yeah, Uh stay upright, right? That that kind of what it looks like. The um the things that surprised me the most about watching the videos are uh, not only my dogs barking, but um the dogs excited too. They are really (laughs) excited. Um the the way that they guide this thing those those panels that you see in the
0: um, yeah the little fins the titanium fins yeah so those are up higher than I thought they were. So they really are. they're they're They're
1: almost to the top. Yeah. So they're really the ones that are guiding this thing. It's, it's, you know, bottom heavy dropping down, but they're at the top guiding it. And it just shocked me at how last minute the legs yes. ended. I was looking at that saying, Where are the legs? Where are the legs? Come on. where? Oh, they're there. Yeah. The <laughs> last few feet. Yeah. It's just amazing. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's impressive stuff. It's definitely impressive to watch. Uh, and I just think
0: it's really neat. I mean, NASA for a long time has had these telescopic cameras that can follow launches. Um, The first time I was really, really, really impressed by those cameras was um, when I was still working at JPL. The, one of the camera operators that follow the launches found out that the shuttle was going to just happen to pass in its orbit over Kennedy space center. So I thought, huh, I wonder if I can find it with my camera. And he did. And you could see the shuttle, you know, 250 miles up in the sky. It was during the day, and they still were able to find it. And you could see that the doors were open. You could see the attitude it was in. And it was just mind-boggling wow. that they could do that. for You know, things going by at five miles a second, yet they can – Track that and get a clear picture,
1: well, I that think is it's interesting is that was how many years ago now yeah twenty five yeah, so imagine what they'll be you know what they can do today exactly yep. so it's just really neat
0: that you can see these different angles. One of the cameras looking up is kind of a daylight camera, the other one is is tuned for the um for the rocket blast, so it's it's much darker. And you get just get to watch all of this in all these different angles at the same time, and if you miss something, you can easily back up and watch it again.: yep. Cool. So I'm just geeking out. That's all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's why we're here.: Speaking of cameras, Yeah.
3: Oh, uh, so I thought this was interesting. This is a story from today um, that well, my takeaway is not the headline. My takeaway is that our future iPhones could have lasers in them. <laughs>
0: Freaking lasers lasers in them.
3: (laughs) But here's the real deal. So what they're talking about uh, is these things called time-of-flight cameras. So what a time-of-flight camera is, is it does use lasers to actually measure distances. So as you take a photo of something, I guess a laser burst goes out from the camera and then comes back, and it knows how long it takes for it to do that it's fast enough to measure the speed of light so as the beam returns it tells the distance to everything so it just doesn't get a a flat 2d image it actually is building a complete 3d model with a single camera of everything in the scene which will allow it to take basically 3d photos uh, using this time of flight cameras, and basically it looks like these things are just becoming viable, and the rumor is that apple's considering them for like next year 's models maybe um, so that um, could be and, and then if apple 's going to use them, other companies will use them too
0: and the neat thing about that is you can 't fool the face i d by showing it a picture of somebody
3: right, and they already do these depth sensors that use other technology to to figure it out but um but you know t- uh, these time of flight cameras would have a you know these lasers (laughs) that would do it um so it could be uh, all sorts of other technology it's hard to do 3d without having cameras that aren't spaced far enough apart i mean they should be technically spaced the same distance as your eyes um to actually film 3d and then you're just using points of perspective to figure out uh you know 3d and everything so this is maybe a better way to do that i guess i mean it's more it's a way that is evolved past how we actually see things. I mean, we see three D because of two eyes spaced far enough apart. This would actually be a device that would see things using lasers rather than having two cameras. Could be could be really cool. And you know, the the way that they talk about this, it's like, oh, this is definitely coming, and it'll probably just be the standard phone camera. Um, it would be a lot of cool things that we could figure out, um, like new applications for the cameras. Instead of just doing still images, I mean, it, it builds a three D model of what's around you just in an instant by looking. Well, I thought it was neat anyway.
1: Yeah, no, it is pretty wild. Yeah. So one last thing, I think, before we go or wrap coming in on an hour, um, I was working on an article today about ways to defend yourself against ransomware. Um, People are well. For one thing, I'm still shocked at the number of um, large institutions that are being affected by ransomware. It just, and you know, it's just entire it, cities and municipalities. Yep, yep, yep. Hospitals. I mean, that kind of stuff. It just it just shocks me that um, that's still a thing. To be honest, uh, you'd think by now most of these places would have gotten the message. But on the other hand, we also know how quickly some of these places are able to move their technology. Uh, in other words, not. Uh, so there are a couple of things that, that I came across. One is that uh, one of the uh, backup tools that I frequently recommend, Macrium Reflect, they actually do something where they lock the, uh, the images that they've created, the backup images that you've created. The concern is, and apparently it's starting to happen, is that ransomware will not only back up your files, but they'll, I'm sorry, encrypt your files, but they'll also encrypt your backups. What this prevents is that latter step, your Macrium Reflect backup is locked. You can't even delete it, it's not without actually using Macrium Reflect to do it. I thought that was actually pretty interest, a pretty interesting technique in securing backups and still allow your backup drive to be connected so that your backups happen automatically. The other one, and it, it kind of surprised me, didn't really get my attention until Dropbox announced the feature, I think, last week, One of the issues, of course, is that if your data files are all in something like OneDrive or Dropbox, and ransomware comes along and encrypts them, well, they all get uploaded to the cloud, and all of a sudden, your cloud files are all encrypted, and your originals are overwritten. Um, OneDrive has had this for a while, uh, and uh, Dropbox just added it, like I said, last week. They have different names for the feature, but basically what it boils down to is you can say, you know what? Please restore my Dropbox or my OneDrive uh, to the state it was in last week. And it just reverts all of the files to what they were at that time. Uh, I find that a very, very nice safety net for uh, folks that are potentially prone to getting infected by malware. I believe both of these features require the paid versions of the cloud storage uh, offerings, but uh, especially with OneDrive being as inexpensive as it is once you've got yourself a uh, uh, an Office 365 subscription, honestly, an Office 365 subscription pretty much pays for itself just for the terabyte of, or five terabytes of OneDrive you get to use. Um, that feature alone is one of those things where, yep, you know this would tip the scales for me. This is this is something I find really interesting in and in a really good safety net. Ultimately, you should be protecting yourself from malware. Period. Ransomware is just malware, but because it's it's the impact can be so devastating, uh, as many cities and governments and, and hospitals will tell you, um, having something like this to kind of be an extra layer of of um, safety net should something bad happen. I just find really interesting and something that I would encourage people to look into if they're considering using any of those tools. That's it. Good advice.
3: Yeah. No, I like that.
1: Cool. So you're ready
0: to
2: wrap. Yep. My name is Kevin and I'm here to say
3: (laughs) the
1: answer there is no, he's not. (laughs) not.
0: Anyway, the show does for this week are at, tehpodcast.com slash teh76. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. If you don't have a podcast app that automatically downloads episodes for you, you can get an email notification when a new one is posted. Sign up for that at tehpodcast.com or research how to get a podcast app to download things you're interested in. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Oh <laughs>